to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi everybody, we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to episode 49 of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing fairly well, feeling relieved. Why are you relieved? Well, you know... I feel I, like I know why. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I've been under a lot of stress, and I feel like if I've been under a lot of stress, you've been even under more. Right. So, for our listeners, I don't know. We've talked before about our social network and the delay, don't deny social, social network. network. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started having some serious technical issues with the platform that we were using over the last really couple of months. Yeah. It just kept escalating and getting worse, and things would break, and then they didn't fix them. Like three months in, the live feed broke. It was fine, and then three months in, it broke. Yes. And then a couple weeks ago, you would go to load a post or even just load the page. And at one point, I took a video, and it was taking like minutes to load. So we had Notifications broke. We got to that boil over point where we were like, we have to do something and so in the last, let's see, nine days, we pivoted. <laughs> we pivoted. We went to a whole new platform. That's amazing. Yeah. So for anyone who uh, was ever interested in the social network or if you were on it and you threw your hands up and left out of frustration, just like we, we wanted to do, but we couldn't because it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you go to jenstevens.com slash community, that's where you'll find the link to the all brand new community. It is so much better. I mean, it's like I can now relax. We were not abandoning the social network through the end of our subscription year. We've still got people who are moving them over from the social network to the new community. And so, you know, anybody that has been a member and you left and you're like, that was ridiculous. If you want to figure out how to transfer your membership and you haven't you know, gotten an email from me about it, because a lot of people just turn their emails off. They're like, I don't even want to remember this platform. <laughs> so I'm sending out emails. But if yours are turned off and you want to know more, or if you email monthly, me. Yep. And, you, and you were like, this like is it. awful. Yeah. Please come back and try us again because it is, okay, my very first car was a 1978 Oldsmobile Toronado, and it was a giant land yacht. (laughs) That's what the old network was. And today, we're now driving Jen's 2020 BMW. Can I tell you something (laughs) that that really came to me as to why why the technology is breaking there? It has to do with when we first were looking for platforms, we looked at all the ones that were available and they all had pros and cons. We ended up going with the one that was, first of all, it was the most expensive, which isn't always the indicator of of fabulousness, but they had some big name clients 
for example, like a very well-known university alumni program used them. They'd been around since like 2012, the platform had. So I'm like, this platform has longevity. They've got big clients. They aren't going anywhere. That's one reason we chose the most expensive platform because of all the things that they told us it could do. Well, then we got in there and the features kept breaking. You know, after three months, the live feed didn't work anymore. And we told them, and they're like, all right, we'll try to fix it. They never fixed it. It never worked again. And so that was unacceptable. But then I remembered when Cal was selling his app, the window app that he made, you know, he made that in, I guess it was mm, 2016, he made that app. And then he sold it in 2019. So it was only three years old. But when he first made it in 2016, and then over time, he changed it and he added features. And you keep piling features on top of features, right? Right. So you end up with a tangled mess. So when he was selling it to the company that bought it from him, he had to go in and clean it up because it was a tangled mess where he had patched it here and back-ended it there and crammed something here. And I think that's what we ended up with. So (laughs) technology that's been around since 2012 may have some some problems. (laughs) And we, we didn't know. We didn't even know what to think about. Now we do. So the, the the platform we've gone with, they've actually been around for a year. <laughs> and that's all. And it's like... And they're amazing. Yeah. It's like your grandpa designed the one we were on. And Cal, who just graduated from Georgia Tech with a 4.0 in 2019, designed a new one. It's like night and day. So everybody, if you tried it, come back. It's, it's It's really everyone. Like people are signing up and they're like, oh, it is great. I want to change my membership to Lifetime. Can you do that for me? Because I will be here forever. Just after a day. They love it that much. So it's what we envisioned all along. And we're sorry that the technology was not. We what tried. We, we gave it our all, but Oh, I lost sleep over how it, it got worse and worse. And once the notifications broke and then you couldn't load the post, I was like, this is it. We gotta go. So we pivoted and it was risky and scary. And I'm sorry if anyone I was frustrated about the whole thing. <laughs> I have not slept, really. Because I want people to like it. I want people to love the community. Jen and I love good customer service. We do. And we didn't get good customer service. One guy told me I emailed him too many times. I'm like, okay, well, I will never email you again. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was when we couldn't load. No, it was notifications. And when notifications stopped working, he was working in Europe and didn't like me emailing him three times. I'm like, well, it's been 24 hours. And you, when I first emailed, you misunderstood the problem. So there were all clarifications and screenshots because the more information, the better. Right? Wrong. <laughs> Jen was really bothering him. I was so upset that I bothered him so many times. <laughs> so I will never bother you again. So thank you. That will not make our good news segment. No, it but, you will know, not. We could have a good news segment about how amazing the members have been. Yes. Because I was like, are people going to be really mad? And I've gotten one really mad email. One. Mm-hmm. And I ended up giving her, you know, I was just like, thank you. You know, I'm sorry you're upset. I gave her a refund, you know, whatever. But everybody else has been amazing. I think everybody else knew that we really gave it our all. and We were we, trying. We absolutely, it was never our intention to you know, do anybody wrong. And we've done, we've worked so hard to make it right with everybody. And it cost us tens of thousands of dollars. I don't like to lead with that because that makes us sound crazy, but it was an expensive platform and we cared so much. We spent a week setting it up and we wanted it to be amazing. And then every time something went wrong. Right. I mean, I get four days off a year from my job. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I used one <laughs> to get this going. Like it meant that much to me. Right. So, 
Well, anyway. I'm feeling so much better. It, we're looking at it in our rearview mirror, and in March, it will be gone. Yeah, but I'm going to continue to support people that are there through the end of March and also transitioning people over to the new platform. You know, like if they just joined right before we're making the transition, we'll give them a year free on the new one, so it won't be a financial struggle. But email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com if you had been a member and you need assistance because we want to make it right. We want everyone to feel satisfied with with what we're doing because you know the we the community is so important to us and because we value good customer service we want to give well, we it. want to give it we do want to yes. give it exactly so today's good news segment is a shout out from Kim in Oregon and it's really timely because you know last week we learned about pet insurance from Dr. Johnston so really that is what um, Kim is sharing with us she said i have good news from a sad situation Over the years, we have had several dogs. Along with them comes vet bills. Rosie, our golden retriever, we got as a puppy in 2018. After learning from past dogs with Rosie, we decided to get pet insurance. We chose a company called Embrace. In the summer of 2020, Rosie quit eating, and she was only two years old. After three weeks and several visits to our vet, we took her to a specialty vet to get a diagnosis. She had a large tumor between her lungs and her trachea. They did not give her lung. By this time, we had spent over $3,000 to obtain the diagnosis. Embrace was wonderful. They covered 90% of those expenses and even covered her euthanasia. I can't express how grateful I am for Embrace in covering those expenses. They never contested any of the bills we sent in, and I would hate to think I would still be paying off those bills. We now have a new puppy named Cooper, and yes, he is also covered by Embrace. Oh, I love that. I mean, this is a sad story, so I'm very sorry. I don't love that we had that terrible thing happen to Rosie, but I love that Embrace came in and um, helped lift the load. Because the last thing, honestly, you want to be worrying about when you have a pet going through that is the money. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. Hungry Root is my go-to food delivery company right now. I have the option to choose recipes and they send me the ingredients, or I can just put a bunch of groceries in my cart for that week and I can come up with my own recipe plans. I love that the veggies are prepped and they're ready to saute for use. And a lot of the meats are already cooked and prepared. I simply heat and eat. All of their products are free from partially hydrogenated oils, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial sweeteners, colors, and preservatives. If you want to cook healthy meals but lack time or inspiration or are in a rut, you may really like Hungry Root. I'll have a link in show notes, or you can visit lifelessonscommunity.com, shop with us tab, and click on the Hungry Root link to save $50 on your first week's groceries. We're really enjoying it, too. I'm so glad. I just, yeah, they're um, grass-fed meatballs. Love are them. delicious. They're so mm-hmm. good. I actually, because of the way that they send you stuff, you have like leftover things that you don't need all for the one meal. So we had, it was supposed to go with one meal and then another meal was vegetarian, but we used half the meatballs in one and half in the other. 
and it was perfect. And they were so good. And I was like, I love these meatballs. I'm going to get meatballs like every week because it's grass-fed beef. I'm getting them today and they're coming with pita pockets and some lemon tahini. I'm going to make some Mediterranean pita pockets. And then I'm going to have them with some chickpea pasta later this weekend. So love it. Yeah, we had chickpea pasta from them and I'd never you know, gotten that before. And one of the meals was chickpea pasta and I put the meatballs on there and we both really, it was very filling. I would never like order chickpea pasta because, you know, I don't like things that are pretending to be other things, but I love chickpeas. So I was like, well, it was fantastic and so filling. Yep, it really is. And I'm really bad about going to the store and ordering a bunch of veggies, but I can sit at home and put veggies in my car all day long. And if they're in my refrigerator, I'm going to eat them. Yep. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk with Mary Nestor, author of Say It Now, Say It Right. How to Handle Tough or Tender Conversations. Mary specializes in helping others learn how to have honest conversations during critical moments, moments which could result in a lost opportunity, a broken relationship, or life-changing decisions. So Mary sent me a copy of her book, and one of the first things I noticed when I opened the book was the really nice note she wrote on the inside, and it said, find your voice, take a risk, speak your truth. And those words are really so powerful and they reflect the way that I started living my life right around my 30th birthday. And on this podcast, Jen and I constantly encourage listeners to live their best life. And part of that, I think, is finding the confidence and belief in yourself to find your voice, take a risk, and speak your truth. So Mary joins us today to help us all learn more about effective communication skills and strategies. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I really loved that note. When I opened that up, it just made me happy. I love it too. I mean, you that's know, just really certain huge. things just speak to you. And I read that and I was like, I got chills. I was like, yes, she's she's my people. <laughs> so <laughs> find your voice, take a risk, speak your truth. Speak your truth. I mean, that could yeah. be like your life motto for all of us, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But and you know, nobody can fault you for that. Right. Really, you know, and that's really what honest communication is mostly being honest with yourself. And what I need to say, this is what I need to say. This is the situation, my reality as I see it. And it's really important to to have that kind of confidence that you can speak your truth. And, and a lot of that confidence is learning how to say it now and say it right. Because, you know, we, we say things a lot and have a lot of conversations and you go back and you think, oh, why did I say that? Or I shouldn't have said that, you know, and because I wasn't thinking or I wasn't really thinking about was it the right timing and was it the right situation? Was it the right place? And so we get tripped up that way. Well, and I think, too, part of, you know, finding your voice and speaking your truth, I used to say it all the time, my ex-mother-in-law, she was the kind of person that would say something, but she really wasn't saying anything. And then you would be in trouble because you didn't, I don't know, read between the lines. And so I'd always say, you say what you mean and mean what you say. You know, like whatever you say matters because there are people who are taking what you're saying exactly at face value. So that's your opportunity to get your point across. And if you're not saying what you mean, then you're not having effective communication. Exactly, exactly. And, and people are, they do that for a different, many different reasons. You know, I maybe I, there's something that I need to say to someone. And I have a, there's a example in the book. I, if you read the book, you said the broccoli and the teeth story. Did you, did you see yep. that? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I had a, a broccoli. I was giving a presentation. This was when I was a new manager and I had an opportunity to give a speech in front of a lot of senior managers and it was my opportunity. And so I was all ready to go on my PowerPoints and my assistant was helping me out. So I gave this presentation and people were all like, grinning at me and they were, you know, smiling. I thought, wow, they're really loving this. And so I got back afterwards, I went in the ladies room and just kind of went, you know, like that. I had a big piece of broccoli stuck in my tooth and I didn't know it. It was there the whole time I was speaking. So I went back to my, you know, to my office and I saw my assistant. I said, I'm so embarrassed. I said, this thing in my tooth, she goes, I knew it was there. You didn't tell me? You didn't tell me. She says, no, I was so embarrassed. I, I thought it would fall out. You know, I, I just didn't feel right saying something to you like that. And even though that sounds like, come on, that's the easiest thing to do. People are very reluctant, very reluctant to say anything to their boss or to a friend or like you say, like your mother-in-law, you know, they'll speak around something, but they really won't tell you what you really need to hear. Right. I had that very important life lesson, a very similar thing when I was in high school. And the guy I dated all through high school, and we dated for years. We were very, very close friends, you know, in addition to dating. Like, I could have told him anything, but we were in the band. And we had a band performance, and he had a solo. Uh, He was a trombone player, and his fly was unzipped prior to us taking the stage. But I didn't want to embarrass him by telling him that, so I just didn't. And then after we came off stage, he said, oh, my gosh, my fly was unzipped for the whole performance. And I said, oh, I know. I saw that before, but I didn't want to embarrass you. He said, what do you think I am now? Right. Extra embarrassed. (laughs) I did learn that that life lesson very early. And I've always (laughs) thought of that. I've carried that with me. So, yeah, yeah, that's when you pull a person to the side. And yeah. And you tell them. I taught school one day. You know, I was a teacher for 28 years. And one day we had like spaghetti for lunch or something. But I had spaghetti on my face the whole rest of the day. And my students looked at it all day. I mean, like a smudge of it. And then finally I went into the bathroom in the afternoon. The kids were still there. And there it was. And I went back in the classroom. I'm like, kids, did y'all see that I had spaghetti all over my face? They're like, yeah, we all saw it. (laughs) (laughs) We've all got those stories. And, And, you know, so chapter two of your book is called Be Nice. So, you know, we just had an episode dedicated to boundaries, and I guess the kids felt like that was a boundary they couldn't cross, right? We often struggle when we talk about boundaries because you don't know, when can I cross this boundary? Is that being nice? You know, let's talk about being nice versus, you know, this broccoli and the teeth example. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I I open it up with a quote, you know, if you can't say something nice, you know, don't say anything at all. We've all heard that, you know, and we think, so well, I'm not going to say anything, but but think about what being nice really is. In my example with the broccoli or yours with the zip, you know, what would be the nice thing to do? The nice thing would be to take that risk and say, by the way, your fly is open. And then zip up and you don't have the embarrassment. But think about what you do. If you don't, you know, that's better than what I think I'm being nice by not saying anything. Because a lot of other things happen. Now think about the broccoli in the teeth or even your situation. Say, so after you come in after the fact and tell the person. So I'm going to wonder if I'm, you know, I'm going to wonder, well, why, what was their motive? Why didn't they tell me in the first place? Were they trying to embarrass me? Can I trust them anymore? Do they have my back? Are they really my friend? They're so You lose so much when you're trying to be nice instead of taking that risk and saying, and, and saying what you need to say because you really lose a lot. And in the second half of my book, at, at, after each chapter, there are some questions to ask and it's kind of make it your own. 
And you ask yourself the question, what's my situation? What are the risks and what are the rewards? So you may need be uncomfortable to say something, but you're really being nice. And the other situation with the spaghetti on the face, see, everybody else knew it. Right. You. Everyone but me. And who's <laughs> the important person to know is, is the person who's, who is, uh, you know, is, is affected. Being affected. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I can be your best friend, even if you don't like what I have to say. Even if that, and I've, I've done this with my kids and in work situations. And sometimes it's a situation where you say, there's something that I need to say to you. There's something that I, something I need to share with you. And I don't, I'm not trying to be critical. It may sound like I'm being critical, but I want, I need to say this because if I don't, I am going to regret it. And so please take it this way. And then I will say what I have to say. It's hard. You're right. Sometimes there, to jump in there and there, say yeah. it. Yeah. The nice thing you can do is speak up. My personal rule of thumb is what I want someone to tell me that. And if I would want someone to tell me, then I'm going to, you know, find my voice and take that risk and tell you. Well, and my barometer is, and I will actually start conversations. Like I have actually gone into like my boss's office and I'll say, you know, I've been thinking about this and I couldn't decide how to handle it. but. I'm going to go home and I'm going to keep thinking about this or worrying about this or going over this in my head. or And, I, and I'm afraid I might regret not saying something or not coming forward. And I don't like to live with regrets. So I'm going to give you this information and what you do with it is up to you. But I'm taking it off my chest now. I'm doing what I believe to be right. And now I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this information to you and you can do with it what you may. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's three components to, in my book, I talk about three components to effective communication, especially in difficult situations. And the first one is to say it now. And it's all about timing. You know, timing is so important. Many times we'll just blurt something out and it's usually the wrong thing or it comes across the wrong way. So there is, there is timing. Uh, I had a situation where I had to talk to my boss about something and I could have marched into his office and just said, hey, I got to talk to you about this. Well, I've been interrupting him. I don't know what he's doing. So that was not the right time. And actually, the right time came around when a couple of weeks later, he was in my office sitting you know, across from my desk. And it was a whole different situation. We were having a very friendly conversation. And I, was, I just knew this was the time to say it. So you, know, you say it, and then you have to say it right. And it, that's all about the words you use, your voice inflection, the setting, all of those kinds of things. The last one is your motive. You know, you have to think about what what am I trying to do here? And you know that many people say things or set up situations where they just want to take somebody down a notch, you know, or uh, you were said something to me before and I'm going to, you know, I, want, I have something to share that's going to embarrass you. There's all kinds of things that go on. You know, we don't like to say we go to the dark side sometimes, but sometimes we do. And so you have to really check your motive because if you, if, if in your heart, what you say is not to lift somebody up, or to help them out, or to make them be a better version of themselves, then no matter how what wonderful words you use, and your perfect setting, it's not going to come across the right way. It's really not. And, and I think it's I think so it, important. I think that comes down to honesty. Right. O- honesty in that, um, you know, are you being honest with yourself? Are you being honest with them? Are your motives honest? So I think like a good stopping point before you say something is just to like stop and be like, is this coming from a place of honesty? Yeah. 
And I'd also say in the book that, you know, it's not something that you just look around every time you're in a new situation and say, oh, you know, who needs fixing? You know, <laughs> who, what do I need to say to somebody? It's like uh, in my situation or the example I give in the book is I have a screwdriver. You know, we all have screwdrivers in the house and if something needs tightening, then we go ahead and do it. But I don't carry one in my handbag. You know, and then take it out, you know, when I'm at the spa or if I'm at the gym or if I'm in the grocery store, you know, or somebody else's house and say, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to just start tightening everything up. No, it's not for, you know, it's it's to pull it out at the right time in the right places for when when it's important. Let's talk about timing for a minute. How do you know it's the right moment to speak up? You know, because you say, say it now, but now is not always the right time. You know, like. Sherry and I are each married, and there are times when it's the right time to talk to my husband about something or when it's not. And we've been together for 31 years now, so I can kind of gauge him. But, you know, how do we know it's the right moment? Yeah, I think it depends on the situation or what you need to talk about. I know that my children are, are grown, and but when they were teenagers, especially my daughter, you know, if you read my book, <laughs> I have a lot of stories about her. She came home, you know, was drinking. She was young, you know, teenager or whatever. And at the moment to talk to her about it was immediately. You know, I'm not going to wait till she sobers up. I'm not going to wait until the next day or anything like that. That was the important time. And she was had a trip planned to Ocean City, Maryland for uh, the week during spring break. And guess what? She wasn't going. <laughs> you know? And I don't know who suffered more, she or, or, or uh, her father and I. Oh, I get it. Yeah. That, you know, when you're, when you've got a situation where somebody has had too much to drink and they're going to, you know, they're just going out to their car to drive. That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and there are type, you know, we're in those situations and we don't say anything. They say, oh, no, no, I can handle, I can. So you let them go. So though there's some things, you know, situations where it's really important, then you have to kind of, I, I try to check my gut and see when it, when it feels right. I had a, uh, a situation where a colleague of mine was giving a speech and she was going to be giving it the next day. So she was sort of trying it out on some of the staff members and she did a wonderful job. But the next day she was going to be giving it in front of big donors and, and lots of very important people. And I noticed that since I'm a speaker, I, uh, she was saying a lot of um, ums and she was speaking very softly. So after the presentation, because I knew she was giving it the next day, I just, just said, I, your speech was wonderful. You have really great information. There's something that I noticed that maybe could make it better. Would you mind if I share that with you? And that's another good way to broach a subject is not just say, I have something I want to tell you. What would be your advice as far as, so like my husband, I just had a very interesting conversation yesterday. And when Jen said husbands, I was like, uh-huh. Yep. Because I always think, so if something's bothering me, and it's one of those things that like he does repeatedly and it's just kind of really bothering me. It's one of those things, you know how you just, it just keeps building up, building up, then right? it overflows and then it overflows and then yes. you're really mad about it and you have a big blow up, right? So rather than do that, I wait until it's a time where like we're sitting on the couch and everything's really cool and we're having a great day and we've had dinner and we're just relaxing. I'll say, you know, can I talk to you about something? And he'll be like, sure. And then I say, well, you know, this really bothers me when you do X, Y, Z. And I've noticed you do it more and more lately. And I just want to say something before I get really mad about it. And he will instantly get mad. And he'll say, why you got to start something? So, and I'm like, but I'm not, 
I'm not trying to start something, right? I'm trying to stop something. So my intention, like what I'm trying to deliver and the way he's receiving it, we're not jiving. And then I kind of brought that up in the car yesterday. And I was like, so like, I don't know when I'm supposed to bring up things to you because you don't want to talk about it if everything's great, but I don't want to talk about it when we're already arguing about something else because it just makes that, I feel like it makes that conversation more volatile than it needs to be. And he says, yeah, but why would you ruin a good time? So do you have any tips on helping a person determine what the good time is? Because maybe the the sender and the receiver's idea of timing are not in sync. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the, the relationship, the husband wife thing, you've got, you, that, that's very, very, could be very difficult because, you know, you think you know somebody really well and then you think, oh, I don't know you at all. You know, who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> I'm trying to talk Men to are you. from Mars. You're from right? Mars and you came from some other planet somewhere. And men too, I think, they're not on the same like emotional level. They just like, they're fixers. They want to fix something. They don't want to talk about feelings and you know, so maybe the uh, approach would be, again, to say, you know, honey, I really, something's bothering me and I, I really want to talk to you about it. But so when would be a good, when, when would be a good time for you? Yeah. So schedule it with him. Yeah. Saying, you know what, right now, you know, how about after dinner or how about that we could talk, let's talk about that thing. I say, okay, now I, there's something that I really, I want to talk to you about. I want to be sure that, you know, I'm going to have your full attention. You say, okay, okay, well after the football game or whatever. And then respect that. And you could say, ask permission. Is that okay if we if we talk about that? And I know, you know, say, well, why couldn't I just be able to say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you right now. Well, a lot of it is, you know, you can control the timing. You can control that. Those are things that you can set up so that you can be more effective. The response you get is you can't control that. Right. And it's so funny because if my husband said to me, I really want to talk to you about something, can you let me know when you'd like to talk about that? Right now is the time. Exactly. Because (laughs) now I just feel like you bombed me with something and what is it? And my anxiety would go, oh my gosh, what is so awful he wants to talk to me about? So I'd be like, right now, what? (laughs) So it is funny, I guess, how some people have more, they need to be maybe mentally prepared for it. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you can also, if, if you have that, those kinds of reactions or if they have a, a, that kind of a reaction, you could say on a scale of one to 10, what I need to talk to you about is a three. I'm like, oh, it's a three. Okay, well, let's talk about it now. You know, you could do that too and just kind of give them a forewarning, <laughs> say, you know, this is, this is an eight, you know. Oh, my. Okay, well, I think I better, let's have it over, over wine or after dinner or something like that. Saying it's really, really important to me may not you know, they're more numbers, you know, uh, and I, I don't want to stereotype people, but I, in my own experience, I've been married twice. And so I find that those kinds of things could be effective. And, you know, it could be the opposite, depending, you know, in your relationship, you know, we were joking about it being the husband, but it could be the wife, you know, maybe a husband is listening and it's the wife who needs to schedule it. And the husband wants to talk now because, you know, we're all different in the way that we approach things. It just so happens that Jen and I are very proactive communicators and we're married to men who are not proactive communicators. So, but it could be flipped in other relationships. It absolutely could. Maybe the, yeah, it could be the husband who's the proactive one and the wife's like, nope. (laughs) And and actually my, my, my second husband was very involved in community 
And so he was in all kinds of organizations. And so he was, he would work all day and then he would come home, eat dinner, and then go out to these meetings, you know, for the veterans council or whatever. And so it was really hard to catch him at a good time, you know, when he wasn't like, you know, falling asleep. So I think you have to, you really have to respect, you know, the other person and, and also respect yourself because you can't stuff those feelings. You can't stuff it and just say, oh, no, I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to get angry. Well, no, that's, that's not respecting yourself. That's not speaking your truth. It's not finding your voice. It's not finding that voice. Yeah. And you have a right to your voice. You yeah. So you talk about building a culture of Say It Now in your book. And that's also very interesting because my husband and I, back to my husband, we grew up very, very differently. And we talked at the dinner table. He was taught you don't talk at the dinner table. I am very much, I'm going to speak my mind and say what I have to say. And he is not a person who is free with his words like that. That's not how he was raised. You basically, you just didn't have an opinion. And if you had it, you kept it to yourself. And when I was reading your book, Mary, it kind of made me think of the way you were raised. So how do you encourage a that culture of say it now, whether it be at home with your spouse or at work in your workplace? Yeah, it's it's really important, especially now, I think when people are returning back to work, they say you have six weeks to form a new habit. Well, we've had 18 months of, of really, we figured it out how to work at home and, and make it, you know, our own. And so you really need to be able to, when people are going back, you're not, the people who left are not the same people that are coming back to work. We have 18 months now of, we, we are different people and we have different levels of what we will accept and what we won't accept because we've, we've worked it out and it made sense. So when you have all these people coming back and then leadership has got to figure out some way to get these new policies because you have to be in the office or not in the office. And then you have there's a lot of conversations that you have to have. So one of the, some of the things that I say is to, so for a leader, you would need to say and make it very obvious and even say this, you know, we want to be able to have a culture where people are free to speak up and to speak out. And so one of the suggestions I do uh, have in the book is to say, if you have a meeting and you're having a conversation, about a situation. You can tell people at the very beginning, now, I don't want you, if you don't tell me what you're really thinking, there is no way that I can know. The best way that we can work together is for you to be totally honest with me. And if you have a situation or if you have a negative, you know, a, a opposing opinion, please let me know. Now, if that doesn't work as people are, are worried about, then you've got a bigger problem because as a leader, there's reasons why they're not opening up. Okay, so what you have to do is allow that. And then when someone gives you an opposing point of view, is not to say, well, we tried that 10 years ago and it doesn't work or, you know, shoot them down. So you have to be able to then say, well, that's interesting and have a discussion about it. If people will not speak up, one, another effective technique is to say, okay, Sherry today and Sherry in this meeting, Sherry is going to be our devil's advocate. We're going to be talking about this new system that's coming in. And so Cherry's job is to listen really hard and to come up with all the opposing viewpoints. So that's her job today. So now you've got, maybe have the most fun in this meeting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm good at Sherry, that. How does she know that that would be your job? I don't know. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that's one way of doing that. And so once Sherry starts sharing, a, you know, a couple of opposing views, that may give others some courage to speak up also. Since I have been given that job, I am in a place of protection. So it's like 
I shouldn't be afraid to speak up because I was told like, this is what you're supposed to do. So it takes that vulnerability away and it allows that person to, you know, be that devil's advocate without fearing, you know, repercussions from that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's look at, look at what it does for the leader too. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. That's a great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to look at that and say, oh my gosh, you know, we can't speak up and we, I can't say what I, what I need to say. There are so many lost opportunities. There's so much money that's lost in businesses because people are afraid to say something. I had a, a consulting job and they were putting in a new computer system and I worked with the engineers. It was really fun. It was a, it was a quality systems so we would go in and they would tell me how all these processes work, et cetera. And they would just shake their heads and they'd say, you know, they're putting in this new system. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. But they, the operators, were never in any of the meetings. And so they didn't have a voice. They couldn't say what they, what they needed to say. Or if they were in the, in the meetings, nobody paid any attention to them. And so there's so much that's lost. Uh, and I think that this is such a critical time when we are sort of reinventing work, re- reinventing the workplace to make sure that people have a, have their voice and have a, a platform and are safe. They have to be safe to say what they have to say. Right. This takes me to, back to a couple of years to a conversation. The hospital I work for sends out an employee satisfaction survey every year, and they ask you very, it's, it's what's the word? They can't identify you. What it, anonymous. That? Anonymous, thank you. <laughs> well, I couldn't find that word there. It's anonymous, supposedly, right? But people are so worried about it being anonymous that they won't use the work computer to fill it out. They'll fill it out like at home because they think, oh, but I'm logged onto this computer. They'll know it was me, right? So you do this anonymous survey and then the answers all come back in. And a couple months later, you're in your monthly meeting and your manager is like, okay, well, you guys scored me really, really low on this, really low on this, really low on this. And I need to go to my superior and tell her what I'm going to do to address this. So now she has all of her staff sitting in a conference room and she's going person to person to person asking them. Oh, right? no. Like the hot so, seat. So guess what everybody says? Nope, I have no complaints about that. Nope, I have no complaints about it. So for three hours, you're sitting in this meeting that is so inefficient and non-productive. And I'm sitting there just like, I, I can't stand meetings that are useless. So I'm like, why are we even sitting here? So I think I was in a meeting with my manager and I said, you know, it's kind of like when we sit in these meetings and you put everybody on the hot seat and you want them to tell you why they scored you this way. And nobody says a word. And nobody's going to say the way they really feel because you've put them on the spot. And when they answered that, they answered answer it anonymously. And I said, so, so there's pointless to do this meeting, right? Because what you need to do is send out another anonymous survey and ask people to anonymously give you suggestions. And she said, oh, no, my staff would tell me if there was a problem. And I'm thinking, but your survey results shows that there's a problem, right? And I said, yes, but everybody just sits there and nods their head and says everything's fine. And then you leave the room, and then all the truth comes out. And she really didn't like to hear that. But there's me speaking speaking out. <laughs> <laughs> How did she take it? How did she take that? I don't know. I think she was sort of in disbelief, perhaps. But to my knowledge, I no longer sit in those meetings. So I have no idea if anything's changed with them. But at that time, and when I was reading the book, I just kept thinking, like, this manager needs this book. (laughs) But 
but I know that stuff is happening all over the place. All it happens all the time. Yeah. How many meetings do people sit in silently and don't offer their suggestion or advice or whatever because they feel put on the spot or they don't feel brave enough or they don't feel like they have the right to have a voice? And it's just wasted opportunity. Yeah, it's just such a waste of time. And I, so I, you know, leader, you say that manager needs the book. Yes, that's for sure. And I do a lot of coaching with leaders and managers because they, they're critical. You know, if you don't, if you, there's a reason why people are not speaking up and because they're afraid they're going to get, they may look to look foolish. They're going to say their ideas are stupid or you're going to get me later. I'm, you know, you're going to pay later on. And so that's the big problem. In many cases, it's not that people don't have ideas or they don't have feelings and they want, they probably want to say something. But they're afraid of, so you've got to get managers on board and have them understand what they're doing, you know, because, and, and especially if there's a lot of times in situations too, where there's a problem and everybody knows about it, but the manager's not fixing it. You've got an employee that's a terrible employee and they get shuttled around from, from department to department. Nobody will get rid of them. And so they make everybody's life miserable. And everybody knows it. And so as a leader, you sacrifice your leadership ability, your credibility, your respect, everything. You know, it's, there's an awful lot hinging on this communication, especially when it's difficult from both sides. So it's just critically important that people realize and understand how it affects an organization, how it affects relationships, coworkers, and the person who really goes back to being nice. Who's, who's the one who really needs to know? What's going the on? Yeah, the manager. The person right. who just left the room. They need to know. Not everybody else knows it, but somebody's got to take that risk and be able to say to that person, this is what's going on. And a lot, and the way you say it, again, is how it affects you. You know, I can, I can speak my truth. My truth, I'll give you a situation with my boss, my last boss, and he had no chairs in front of his desk. For a reason. He didn't want people coming in chit-chatting with him. He didn't like, he just wanted them to say what they had to say. He was, an, he was the accountant, the CFO. So tell me what you want and get out. <laughs> and then get out, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I got that and, and everything. But when I would go in and talk to him, sometimes it was two or three minutes. And so here I am standing in front of his desk, you know, like a servant or something. It made me feel that way anyway. And he was sitting at his desk, you know, back and relaxing. And so it really got to me. It's a little thing, but it got to me. So I thought, well, you know, I got to tell him that I think it's rude for him to do this. So this is when I didn't tell him, I didn't march into his office and tell him. I waited until he was in my office. And then, so we had this conversation and I said, you know, Joey, there's something that I really bothers me and it's been bothering me for a while. And I, I really would like to share it. Do you mind if I share that with you? And he said, well, sure. Okay, so then I told him what about it, and he had a table with chairs in his office, a little conference table, and said, you know, if it's a cup, if it's just a quick, you know, here and there, fine, you know. But if it's going to be a couple of minute conversation or maybe drag on, can we just move to the to the conference table and sit down? And he goes, see, he had he really didn't know it. He didn't realize how I felt, and most of the time, people have no clue. They have no clue that they're coming across a certain way. And they're so happy that you tell them. And it wasn't just me that thought this. It was a lot of other people that went to his office. So afterwards, he uh, if I would go in for a minute, you know, it'd be great. And then if it lingered on, he would just automatically get up and go, Mary, you know, let's go over, sit down. 
it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And, you know, and it, it was a little that power dynamic. It, it really is, you know, and if I didn't, and he did that with other people too. And I remember when I left that position, I got a very nice card from him and I didn't expect it, but he said, he really thanked me. He says, thank you for showing me the human side of business. Oh, that was and so great. nice because mm-hmm. he, you know, probably nobody ever said anything. You know, when I taught at a school in Carrollton, Georgia, I taught there for five years. And after I'd been there a couple years, we were at lunch one day on a teacher work day. And some of the other teachers were like, when you first came, we were like, whoa. I mean, apparently I rubbed them all the wrong way and was like, they thought I was bossy and coming in because I come in 110%, right, with my ideas. And they said, but as soon as we got to know you, we realized that was just your personality. And we were like, yeah, whatever Jen says, that's what we'll do. But it took, they had to get to know me. I am so glad they told me that because- it taught me, you know, when I moved to my next new school, I did not come in that way. You know, I, I, I was like, thank you all for, for sharing how I came across. And I was just trying to be excited and enthusiastic. And and hearing some, some good criticism from people that you trust can really help you. And so we we owe it to them. Like you, you told your boss and it helped him and it transformed him and the way he dealt in the future in a way that was positive. Instead of like some despot sitting at his desk, like, you know, this you know, leader of the office. Instead, he he became more of a by your side kind of a guy. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I've had you know, similar situations going up. You know, when I became a manager, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never had any manager experience. I didn't know training. You know, I came on like a train wreck. And and I was, you know, people were getting mad at me and they wouldn't didn't want to work with me and all that. I didn't know. I thought, wow, I'm just charging in like you. And I had some wonderful mentors who would pull me aside. You know, instead of firing me, they <laughs> sat me down and say, you know, this is the way you're coming across and you're scaring people, you know, or, or this. I mean, they were so nice, but they were honest enough and, and thought enough of me to tell me something, you know, and that's when you really feel respected. You feel valued. Because if not, they would just say, you know, get rid of her and, you know, I'll go on to my next destruction. So along the way, I've had wonderful mentors and people, you know, uh, people have said that to me, you know, for saying something. So it's so important. It's so important. And and all you're doing is speaking the truth. People think that bosses mentor employees. But employees can mentor their bosses just as well. It's a two-way street. And the thing is, is like, it's scary sometimes to reach out to a boss in that position. And, um, you know, I had a boss who was not speaking very nicely to some students in the hospital one day. And he was really coming down very unnecessarily hard on one who made a very honest new mistake. I can't remember if she was a new grad or a student still. And I came out of my department and I could see him and the way he was talking to her and his expression and, you know, he was red-faced. And I just walked out and I said, I don't want to use his name. We'll call him Ed. I said, Ed, you know, do you need to take a break? And he looked at me and I said, why don't you, he was a smoker. I said, why don't you go take a smoke break and, you know, I'll take over here. And he was so mad. And he came in and he stomped back past me and shot me a dirty look. And later that day, he called me in his office. And I was like, oh, gosh, here we go, you know. But he thanked me. And he said, thank you. You're right. I was getting work way too worked up. I needed a moment. I appreciate you recognizing that. And thank you. And, you know, at the moment, 
I thought, gosh, do I say something? Do I not say something? But I knew him as a person, and I knew that he could come across really brash when he didn't. That's not what was in his heart. And so, you know, I just took that risk. I mean, it could have backfired on me, but it comes down to, at the end of the day, what can I live with? And speaking up, I felt like was the right thing to do. And that's what brought me peace. So what are the risks of not speaking up? Well, you know, silence is also communication. So if you don't say anything, everybody thinks, oh, everything is wonderful. So then whatever is going on keeps going on and keeps going on and keeps going on. So not speaking up is, um, well, you can miss opportunities, first of all, if you don't speak up and ask for something that you that you would like, you know, say a promotion or a, a different position or something like that. You say, well, you know, I just don't know if I should say that or they're not going to listen to me anyway. And then so then you never get what you what you're looking for. And again, it's a lost opportunities. Say you have a, a, a review, you know, and you really think you're worth more money. But if you don't, if you don't broach the subject and say, well, you know, I've done my research and, you know, somebody in my position with this much experience would be making X number of dollars. What do you, and the wonderful thing, phrase is, what do you think? Oh yeah, that's a good one. What do you think? And so that leaves it open. It's a, you know, now you want to have a conversation about something, but there's so many situations where you may lose opportunity or you could lose money. You could lose uh, friendships if you don't speak up. Yeah, that's, that's a biggest risk. And also in the situation too, like Sherry, you felt that it was, that was the time, right? Right. I mean, it was like, it was now or he's going to make a fool of himself and then it's too late. Exactly. And so if you didn't say something, this is, this is the risk of not speaking up. First of all, he would have been a jerk to a lot of people. He might have said something worse and gone on longer. He may have jeopardized his position in some way that you wouldn't know about it. And then you would go back, you would go home and say, or back in your own say, I should have said something. You know, why can't I speak up? You know, how we start talking to ourselves. You know, and I, you know, I should be more forceful or gee, am I, if I was really his friend, you know, or really respected him, I would say something. So there's an awful lot of, of stress and anxiety for not speaking up. Uh, so listen head. to that little voice in your head. Exactly. If the little voice tells you to speak up, then you, you owe it to the situation to speak up, really, because your little voice knows. So Mary, we are almost out of time. What would you leave listeners with um, that we haven't maybe covered? And also, how can they find you? Oh, okay. One of the things that usually asks, uh, I'm asked is, you know, when do you, when do you know to say something and when do you shut up? <laughs> when you don't say something. And I have a great story in the book about my son, actually. And he was, uh, he had a bad case of acne. He was about 16 or 17. You know, teenagers go through this. And I had the same thing when I was a, a teenager and I was, it was a horrible situation. So and I'm reliving my own situation through him and he was pretty laid back. Anyway, we ended up in the dermatologist's office and he was sitting on the on the exam table, I'm standing there, you know, and the doctor comes in and he starts asking my son questions about, you know, his acne. So the doctor would ask him a question and I would answer it. And then they would, he would ask him another question and I would answer it. You know, so poor Brad's sitting there. He's not saying anything, anything. And so after about the third or fourth time, the doctor stopped, turned around, looked at me and said, Miss Nestor, I think your son can speak for himself. <laughs> Now, he took a risk, and he, he, that was a perfect thing to say, because I had no idea. It was my time to be quiet. 
and to let him speak up. And that is a perfect, there are times when you have to stop talking, you know, with your children, because with the message that you're giving or with your employees, anything, you're giving the message that I don't think you can do it. You can't handle it. You're not good enough. I don't trust you. I don't trust your decision-making. That's the message you're giving when you always are the helicopter parent or the helicopter uh, boss, you know, the one that takes things away. And you've got to, there's times when you have to stop and let people function for themselves, you know, because that's where they build their confidence. That's where they build their self-esteem. So how can people find you? They can find me uh, through my website. It's www.maryjnestor. That's just my name, maryjnestor with an O, dot com. They can email me at Mary, it's the same thing, Mary at MaryJNester.com. And uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And it's the same thing. It's just Mary J. Nester or say it now, say it right. But they can find me that way. Yeah. All right. We'll have well, links thank you in so much. Notes. We will. Um, I will that the book is available also on Amazon. And uh, if it's not in your Barnes & Noble bookstore, ask for it because it's on the shelves in the bookstore also. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's just lovely. Really enjoyed being here. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today, I want to talk about sunlight and saunas. You know, we're moving into the winter, and that is in the colder months. I was just in Nashville, Sherry, and it was like fall. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Because I'd come from Augusta, where it was so warm. And anyway, I was like wearing sweaters and shoes and my feet. Anyway, I love my sunlight and sauna. It's the number one doctor and consumer recommended brand, and it's the one that I own. I got it last fall and didn't put it together till Sherry came over to help me. <laughs> we put it together on New Year's Eve, and we put it together, and we did it. The two of us did it together and followed the directions. We're crawling around in there together. We They delivered it. We put it together. I have a sauna now. So only sunlight and saunas are medical grade, clinically backed, and proven to be 95 to 99% effective. This is why Sunlighten is used and recommended by more health experts and consumers over any other sauna brand. I even talk about the benefits of sauna in my new book, Cleanish. I have a chapter about self-cleaning and using a sauna is really, I mean, it's science-backed. You know, I didn't put anything in there that wasn't science-backed. You know, massages, you know, they're always like, oh, this detoxes you. I couldn't find a lot of actual science about it. So, <laughs> but saunas, yes, I did. Although I did still put massages in there and ex- talked about any of the benefits I could have found. So if you're interested in finding out more about a sauna, you're interested in getting one for your your cold winter months or really all year long, go to lifelessonscommunity.com and you can find a link to take advantage of our special deal on sunlight and saunas by visiting the shop with us tab. There are so many different sizes and options that will fit your space, your budget, whatever you've got. So next, we have a segment that we call our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Cheryl. Have you ever started to make a recipe only to realize that you need buttermilk and don't have any? No worries. You can substitute other dairy products and make your own buttermilk. You can sub a cup of buttermilk with one cup of plain yogurt or three-fourths a cup of sour cream and a fourth a cup of water or milk. Or you can make buttermilk with a cup of milk, a tablespoon of either white vinegar or lemon juice. Allow the milk to sit for 10 minutes before using, and I've actually done that in a pinch. I have as well. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. 
Today's quote comes from Tessie in Texas. The quote is, I think it's not really financial security we want, but financial serenity. And that has nothing to do with how much money we have. It's the feeling of truly having enough. That is the difference between security and serenity. And I really like that quote because my ex, a notorious overspender with awful financial stewardship, would make comments like, you'll never have enough money to make you happy. And it wasn't the money. It was peace about money. Yeah, I love that. We want financial serenity. That is really huge. You don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to have financial serenity. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, and it will be automatically downloaded for you every week. Don't forget to leave a review if you haven't already on iTunes. It helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? If so, email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.